there's something interesting in this first reading that we should take note of, especially during this season when so many of our students are receiving the Sacrament of Confirmation. Because in it, we have perhaps the first recognizable instance of confirmation as such being given. I mean, surely not the first time it was given, but the first time we can recognize it. We notice that it's taking place in the city of Samaria. That's within the land of the Samaritans. And it involves Philip. This is not Philip the Apostle. This is Philip, one of the seven deacons, Stephen and the six others, who had been chosen two chapters earlier in Acts chapter 6. And this particular event in Acts chapter 8 happens probably just about three to five years after the day of Pentecost. So it's very early, very early within the church's history. So there is the deacon Philip, and he has gone. He's performed mighty deeds there in Samaria. And the people have come to believe. A number of people have come to believe in Christ. And they've been baptized. So they've been washed of their sins, and they've been joined to the church. And yet, there's something that hasn't happened to them yet. They have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's because there are no apostles there. So, they contact the apostles, St. Peter, St. John, who are in Jerusalem, and have them come down to Samaria. And there they lay hands upon them, and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is, they receive confirmation from the apostles. And so even though... Right here we have this instance where baptism and confirmation are closely linked and yet distinct. And confirmation coming at the hands of the apostles or their successors, the bishops, who last down to this day. Now in the gospel reading we hear our Lord Jesus making the promise of how he will send the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now when does the gospel reading take place? This is from the Last Supper. In the Gospel according to St. John, all that our Lord Jesus says at the Last Supper goes on for almost four chapters. And this is part of that. And so our Lord Jesus is preparing his disciples for the fact that he is going to leave them. How is he going to leave them? Well, actually in two different ways. The first is that that very night will be when he is taken captive in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he's put on trial. And the next day, Good Friday, he'll be condemned and crucified and he'll die and his body will be put into the tomb. So this is the first leaving he has to prepare them for. In less than 24 hours, they're going to be without him because his body will be dead in the tomb. But then as we know and celebrate throughout this season, he will rise from the dead. And he will be with them for 40 more days. But then he will leave again. He will ascend to the Father the feast that we'll celebrate next Sunday. And so he will then leave them again. And this is the period that we're in, the period after his ascension until his second coming. And so he's preparing them for both of these leavings, in a sense, speaking to us during this time when he is not with us bodily in that way, in which he was, in which he will be again. Now, This might seem all too familiar to us because we know about people leaving us. We know it. In this society, it happens all too often. We can start with divorce, which we know so many have experienced. When a husband leaves his wife or a wife leaves her husband, 
when perhaps worst of all, a mother and a father may leave their children. And this happens all the time. And not only in the divorce, a legal dissolution of a marriage, but indeed when two people have been living together and decide they're going to stop. Or even in a long-term relationship. Indeed, even the whole system of dating is almost like a practice for divorce. And so all around us, there's so many people who have been left, who have been abandoned. And sometimes those very people will turn around and end up leaving others and abandoning others. And so I find that when I am helping people with the unbound method of deliverance, that so very often abandonment and betrayal will be among the spiritual pressures that they are experiencing, that they have experienced or possibly also have done against others. The spirit of abandonment, the spirit of betrayal are rampant in the experience of our society. You might say that we are a generation of orphans. So is this what Jesus is doing? Just one more leaving? One more person that we've come to know or the disciples have come to know and to love, having spent three years with him, traveled with him, listened to him, learned from him, seen his deeds, experienced meals with him, spent this time, and now he's just going to leave them behind? Is that what's going on? No. No, it isn't. Our Lord Jesus is faithful. Though no one else be faithful, he is faithful. Now, we know this even before we listen to his words in this passage, because he is true God. And we see throughout the scriptures that God is faithful. Even when God's own people are not faithful to him, he is unfailingly faithful to them. And we hear such statements as that which he made to Joshua. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or such as he made through the prophet Isaiah. Can a mother forget her own child? Even if she should forget her child, I will never forget you. And so it is no surprise that when we listen to our Lord Jesus' words in this passage, he says, I will not leave you orphans. Though we be a generation of orphans, he will not leave us orphans. He knows that he needs to comfort his disciples because he is, in a sense, going to leave them. Not because he wants to leave them, but because he needs to return to his father. And returning to his father to blaze the trail that they will follow. That in good time, they also will then be with him and be with the father in the heavenly kingdom. But even though he leads to lead, to lead us, at the same time, he does not leave us orphans. And there are two things especially that he says to us. The first is he says... I will ask the Father, and He will send you another advocate, the Spirit of Truth. Who better, we might say, to replace the second person of the Trinity in our lives than the third person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit, who is called the paraclete in Greek. The one who is called in to be with us, to advise us, to counsel us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to protect us. The Holy Spirit is sent in to be all those things to us. We are not alone. In our baptism, 
we receive the Holy Spirit dwelling within our hearts. In our confirmation, we were further strengthened and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And no matter where we go, we are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with us, and there is no better companion to guide us, to help us, to comfort us each day as we walk through this life. But we notice that there's also a second promise that he makes. I will not leave you orphans, he says, but I will return to you. Now, of course, he means his second coming. He will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. But it's not only that. We're not only waiting for some day in the future, but he also comes to us even now. How does he come to us? He comes to us in his word. In the scriptures, in the teachings of the church, we can hear his word. We can listen to him even now. He comes to us in his sacraments. The seven sacraments that he instituted in baptism, in confirmation, in confession, he reaches out and acts upon us with his power to change us, to give us grace that we need. But above all, he comes to us in the Eucharist. In the Eucharist, he makes himself truly present, though under a disguise. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Present, truly present with us in this Mass. And with the Blessed Sacrament reserved in the tabernacle, his real presence is available to us all the time. And so it is that we have this great promise never to be left alone, but to have the constant help of the Holy Spirit and also the continued presence of our Lord Jesus. And it may be well to ask ourselves if we should feel that we have not been experiencing this, if we have felt more alone than accompanied and led by the Holy Spirit and by our Lord Jesus, then maybe we need to take a look at what we're doing and whether we've left behind our contact with them. Do we need to turn again to prayer? Do we need to return to confession, to have our sins washed away and that divine life restored within us? Do we need to return to Mass more frequently? Do we need to go to Eucharistic adoration? He does not leave us orphans. Are we receiving that gift that He wants to give us? And if this is so in our lives, then how about the lives around us? Standing in this generation of orphans, is this not a hope that people around us need to know that though they have been abandoned or betrayed by so many, that there is one who will never abandon or betray them. And so, as St. Peter told us in the second reading, we need to be prepared to be able to give an explanation to one who will ask us for the reason, for the hope that is within us. This is a great hope. And when we live it out, this will be something that others will ask us to share with them. To share with them the good news of our Lord Jesus, who never leaves us orphans, who is always faithful.